So we've started a new series uh, taken from uh, Keller's book called Counterfeit Gods, and we're going to continue that this morning as we continue smashing our American idols. Here we go. Round of applause for Gallagher. Uh, I have mixed feelings as I watch that video because on the one hand, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm elated, excited, uh, filled with a sense of wonder, and on the other hand, deep sadness because while researching Gallagher, we found out about four weeks after my wedding that in fact, Gallagher performs weddings. You can go on his website and you can set this up. And it was just a few weeks too late for me. So, <laughs> yes, there's a, we're going to renew our vows. Ashley, that's okay, right? We can, yeah, that's okay. I think Gallagher can handle all the planning. I'm not sure. <laughs> birthday parties also. So my, my birthday is, you know, next month. We're just on the cusp of July, so you may have time to set that up for me, anybody who's interested. So happy June 30th. I've decided to come up, so we're celebrating the 4th today. I'd like to have a new motto for the church. We'll be Vineyard Church of Conroe, first to the 4th. <laughs> Try that out, see if it works, see if it sticks. But a little Gallagher to go along with your America in because let's be honest, the only thing better than smashing stuff with a hammer is blowing stuff up. And on the fourth, uh, on the fourth, I remember growing up, like we would always decide it was a great idea to like blow up ant hills and coke cans and things, you know. And, and somebody'd be like, "Yeah, but do you have any M60s?" Yes, I do. <laughs> and then you have some kid who's like, "My cousin has about a hundred M80s. He's gonna try to blow up a doghouse." There's usually something like that going on. For those of you that don't know, I grew up in New Waverly, Texas. Anyway, um, of course, like, I thought we were pretty irresponsible until I talked to some of you who would say things like, yeah, we used to have wars with Roman candles and bottle rockets. You know, like, it's not, it's not the 4th of July unless we're going to the hospital, you know. <laughs> and, that, and that's why I idolized Josh Campbell. But... Uh, <laughs> I, idolatry, though, has always been a problem, not just for me and my love of Josh Campbell, but for all of God's people, right? In the book of Exodus, God says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And we talked a little bit last week about how for us, when we talk about idolatry, we generally are uh, thinking about people worshiping, you know, little statues uh, at home group last week, Ashley told us that when she was a kid, when she was in like fourth grade, she bought a little jade Buddha and her mother made her throw it away because she was obviously entering into some dangerous idolatry there. But we're generally thinking of statues of things and that kind of thing. Uh, but Tim Keller says this, what do we have as idols today? It's anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God and anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And sort of as an extension of that last week, we said our American idols are people, positions, possessions, or pleasures that we pursue in place of God. You're welcome for those peas. That was my handiwork. I'll claim that one. The Bible says that whenever something comes to that place, that supreme place in our hearts, anything other than God, that Again, we have to kind of 
do a Gallagher and destroy that watermelon. Uh, Colossians 3.5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And another way to put it would be that all idols must be smashed. So those of you that are here last week may remember we talked about uh, the ancient Hebrew, though extra-biblical, or Andrew Creamer, apocryphal story, if you will, which just means a story that's not in the Bible, um, about the biblical uh, character of Abraham. And in that story, Abraham's father, Terah, owns like an idol shop. And one day his dad's away and he smashes all the idols except for one and then puts the hammer in the hands of the one idol standing. And of course his dad comes home and he says, you know, what happened? And Abraham says, well, sorry, you know, the idols had a little argument and, you know, two idols enter, one idol leaves. It's kind of a Thunderdome situation. But it's a funny story. The truth is, though, that's a difficult situation in terms of taking a stand against your father and against your father's traditions. And in some sense, uh, that's when we talk about the 4th of July, there is like this break that happens, right, between uh, the Americans and coming from, you know, breaking from the motherland, right, and and starting something new. Uh, We used to be a part of England. Now we're going to do something else. The 4th of July is obviously a a commemoration of the signing of the Declaration of Independence, that document that says that we're proud and free and independent from England. It was adopted during the Second Continental Congress meeting on July 4th, 1776, and announced that these 13 colonies of America are now, we're our own thing, We're, we're separate, we're independent states, no longer under British rule. And one of the most famous phrases, yeah, you, we can get a round of applause for America. Let's play the video with Jacob again in the flag. No. Um, one of the most famous phrases, though, from the Declaration is, is the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And that phrase says that we have these three examples of unalienable rights, things that we have that are given to all humans by the Creator and which governments are, are supposed to protect and not to infringe upon. And that pursuit of happiness is defined as a fundamental right mentioned, in, uh, which is to pursue joy and to live a life in a way that makes you happy, so long as you don't do anything illegal or violate the rights of others. Most people spend their lives, though, trying, again, after happiness. Uh, and that pursuit of happiness, that pursuit of our dreams, that becomes central to the way that we organize our life. And that's good, right? Pursuing happiness, it absolutely is or can be, but it can go really wrong. We find ourselves searching endlessly for ways to acquire the things we desire, and we're willing to sacrifice much to achieve them. And sometimes on the way to getting what we want, we become someone we never wanted to be. We never imagined that getting our heart's deepest desires might be the worst thing that could ever happen to us. And yet sometimes it is. We, we find ourselves, in some cases, trading our holiness for happiness. Romans 1 talks about how this can happen, how we can take the good gifts of God and distort them into something else. Romans 1.21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things instead of the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So creation is good. People are good. Animals are good. Sex is good. These things, we were about to get another round of applause for that. (laughs) We'll have to see where it stands if, uh, sex or America gets more applause, but let's actually not do this experiment. <laughs> yes, uh, the, the, the newlywed gets to talk about sex today. Okay, um, so, but why is it, why would it be that our heart's deepest desire can so often become a disaster? Why would the greatest punishment imaginable be to allow someone to achieve their fondest dream? 
It's because our hearts fashion these desires into idols. And in that same chapter, Paul summarized the history of the human race in one sentence. They worshiped and served creative things instead of the creator. And so if we look to some created thing, this is Timothy Keller, to give us the meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver and it will break our hearts. And so this morning what we have is a call to trust God. You know, can we, will we believe that God is the only one that can give us these good things, happiness, liberty, life, or will we try to get those things on our own? Will we try to find a path other than God to happiness, life, liberty? Because God calls us to pursue him more than our happiness and trust him with our hopes, dreams, and promises. Your happiness is important to God, certainly, but not as important as your heart. And until he finds you, until he has your heart, you will not find true happiness. And idolatry happens at that point in which we decide to go after something usually good, right? Maybe even something we read about in the Bible and we think we want, but when we try to get that thing without going through God... <laughs> that's when we run into trouble. Now, at this time, I would like to welcome to the stage a man who is, who is so determined to smash idols that he wants Gallagher to pick up truck at a picnic. <laughs> Phil, maybe, uh, I, think, I think you have a story about a baseball bat and a pickup truck at a picnic. <laughs> it wasn't actually to smash idols, but that's another story. Phil, the Phil, you might want to move your new truck to a safe location before we start the festivities. Uh, I'd like to welcome to the stage our senior pastor and master smasher, Raymond McDonald. Well, do all of you have your notes there? We kind of forgot to pass those out. You got those good? So did you get the first fill in the blank? All right, good. That's fantastic. If you see a... Um, a uh, Mac Air sitting around here somewhere. I set it down, so find that. Uh, you can keep it or return it to me, depending on what idol you want to have. Oh, you've got it? Oh, great, great. I put it out. I put it out in the street, actually. Very good. Well, guys, uh, I want to get us to the water slides, but the key element that we're looking at today is how we can take something that is our fondest dreams, our most central desires, even the promises God has given us, which often become those central desires, and turn those things into idols? Can we do that? Well, absolutely we can do that. And so today we want to realize that many have said that the main thrust of the Bible, if you will, has, has been basically this whole idea that man continues to go to idols and we need to defeat them and walk away from those. Timothy Keller says this here, if anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life and identity, then it's an idol. Boy, that's a lot of stuff that's there. And we kind of read that last week to you and talked about it. Who went home this week and started going, wow, that might just be an idol? Uh, raise your hand. A couple of us, yeah. And, and you know, the, the, there, went the, uh, there went bacon, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm just trying to say, bacon is a very essential part of many of our diets. And for me, I've told my wife, if for some reason, if I lost her early in life, that I know how I'll catch my next wife. I will put bacon in my pocket and go dancing because no one can say no to bacon. Of course, once it's gone, it's like the birds. You're sitting on the bench by yourself. That's the way that works. Anyhow, this whole idea that the Bible uh, is filled with these innumerable forms and devastating effects of idol worship lets us know that we see these people framed in these narratives that begin to talk about this whole thing of will I worship God or will I worship idols? We see it all the way through. And we talked about Abraham earlier in the sermon, so let's talk about him again. The Bible uh, gives us this whole idea of Abraham who gets this staggering promise uh, and that will he be faithful to God? Will he follow this whole idea out? And so we're going to look today at Abraham's life quickly in these ideas or promises that's there and see that if we can. If you don't mind, let's pray here real quick. Heavenly Father, we invite your presence. And we say, come Holy Spirit.
And just search our hearts on this wonderful day. This day that we've come to celebrate a nation that you've given us and blessed us with. We've come to celebrate, Lord, the families that you've given to us. This family of this church. And we take all these things and say, Lord, we give them to you now. And we say, you are the one we've come to worship. And you are the one that we say yes to above all others. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's go ahead and look at the story of Abraham, if we will. And we're going to turn uh, to Genesis 12. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Genesis 12. We will put it up here on the screen. But I always encourage you, bring your Bibles. Turn, get used to looking at them. This is a great church to come to because you can use the introduction or the table of contents if you want. And no one's going to judge you unless, of course, it's Ray Dean. But he's going to judge you anyhow. <laughs> He's old Conroe. He's been here forever. That's good. Um, the Lord had said to Abram, notice the difference in his name, Ken Ernst. His name's Abram. Before your name, before the name, I, your name's Ken, but I gave you another name, did I not, when you became a Christian, and it's Kenny Cakes. But before he was Kenny Cakes, he was Ken, and before this guy was Abraham, he was Abram. Listen to the story. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. I love that. Can you imagine Abraham? He's like so busy caught up in the backside of the conversation. He's forgot the first part of it, didn't he? He's like all excited. You love me? You're going to bless people through me? They like me? You like me? This is great. So he gets up, and he remembers the first part. The Lord said, go, get out of here from your country. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Lot, by the way, I'll describe in a second. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. And he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, real quick, this telling you the story of Abram. If you don't uh, know the story of him, you have to back up a chapter. After the Tower of Babel, it talks a little bit about his father Terah. And Terah actually was moving on the way to Canaan himself before he stopped in, the, in this uh, uh, country of Haran. And he settled down there and lived until the day he died. He's recently died. And so here's Abraham, Abram, as it were. He's now the one who gets to inherit all of the property. He inherits uh, uh, his brother's son, Lot, because his brother has passed away. And so he's got all of these possessions. And he's really sitting in the catbird seat, as they say, because he now has finally walked into the blessing of his life. He's taking over the family business. He's the oldest son. Everyone knows him. They've been here forever. And God says, I have a blessing for you. You need to go. Don't you think Abram might have said, well, this, what I got right now isn't too bad, God. I mean, I'm a wealthy man. I got the best-looking woman in the world here. And by the way, that's she... she uh, gets him in a lot of trouble. She's so pretty. I hate it when women do that. And then uh, um, we'll talk a little bit about that. But the, the, the thing is, yes, is this idea of a blessing that you're going to bless the world. It's going to be more than you just getting blessed. And for all of us believers, I believe each one of us have that call on our lives. That the blessing God has called for you isn't just that you will be wealthy or prosperous and by the way i don't think everyone's going to be rich but this idea that god's going to put his hand on you and bless your life goes beyond just those certain promises and it goes to you blessing the world with who you are and what he's called you to be do you agree with me on that here today come on do you agree with that all right chicken fried pie get me all upset here already anyhow here's the main thing god calls us to pursue him over culture, comfort, and safety. Now, you write that down. I'm going to talk about it real quick. Our culture, and I'm an American man, and I love America. And even more than America uh, probably is my Texas roots because I've tied my Texas roots into what America is. And I hate to say that, but for those of us from Texas, when you travel the world, 
You tell them you're American, they'll smile at you. You tell them you're from Texas, they'll give you a hug and invite you to dinner. We are treated in a tremendous fashion. So few states, if any, I would say, have that type of uh, reception to being um, from their, uh, like Texas has. Now, having said that, though, I love my culture. I love it. I'm very proud. If you come to me and go, you Texan, I'll go, yeah, all right, thank you. And, 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 and the fact that I've traveled this world, and I'm going to tell you, this is the world's most wonderful country. Does this country have problems? Yes, it does. That's because we're living. And when you're living, you have problems. But the issue is God has blessed us. And can you imagine him coming to uh, you and saying, you've got your family business, everything's good, but I'm going to send you to a little town in Nebraska and you're going to go there and live. And you're not going to be a pastor or anything special. You're just going to go live there. And your business is going to bless the community that's around you. And you would say, well, that town's got like a thousand people. I really can't sell a lot of what I do there. Well, it's not really because who's Abraham going to Abram going to sell anything to? He's not going to. He's walking out into what he doesn't know. And he's giving up or putting all of his worldly hopes and all of his worldly desires into God's hand. And why is he doing it? Because God just gave him a promise that he means more than just the creature comforts that he can acquire or has acquired here in Iran. God gave him the promise, but with a provisio. And that was you have to leave behind your father's family. Leave your culture, your country. And many of us today, I think, are stuck in our life because we are unwilling to take the provisio because what we received as Americans in particular, because we are the wealthiest world uh, country in the nation, in the world. Let's get that right. We're the wealthiest world in the nation. We're the world. <laughs> it's what it feels like, doesn't it? So the point is, so often we've received so much goods and so much blessing from God. Through an unwilling to move to the next step. This is good right here. I'm satisfied. By the way, God's not calling any of you to leave Conroe and leave this church. Let's get that real clear. I'm kidding. Because I've preached this sermon before, and that's why we have people living in Panama now. Because um, I am up for God moving you and doing what he's going to do. But I'm talking to you in your life. I want you to believe for the things that are great in your life. I want you to believe that you have a call that's greater than just being happy. That holiness, being set aside for God's purposes, is even a greater call than being happy. And we're so afraid that God's going to take away our happiness, but the truth is God's dreams and plans for your life are better than your dreams and plans for your life. And you've got to believe that. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, the writer of Hebrews says, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he, what, did not know where he was going. Every church planner knows this call. Every church planner who's ever went to a little town and given it their all knows that. But it doesn't just take church planners to know that. All of us know that. Going to a new school, what you may do. For many of us, one of the things of just going is realizing that God said this here. I'm demanding you give up what you have now because I have a greater or new call on your life. And for Teresa and I, living in California was a good life. Um, Carrie and Richard are both here today. Wave your hands. Did Richard go outside? There you go. But there, raise your hand, Carrie. God, she's pretty. And so the, the point is, is, I loved my kids, but what was really great about California was we were part of a big church, and they all were always gone on mission trips. And so, meaning we had it made, you know what I'm saying? We got to do what we wanted. The kids were taken care of. It was a fantastic life. She worked for the Vineyard and went around the world doing conferences. I was one of their musicians. I got to go around the world playing music. What's not to like? Well, what's not to like is when God gets in your ear and says, I want you to leave this place, and I want you to go plant a church. And you're going to go back home and plant a church. Well, I wanted to go back home, but 
you know, this was a pretty sweet deal here. And so instead of going home, we moved to Park City, Utah, because the mountains were big and uh, the slopes were right there in view. You got to ski all the time, fish all the time. Every Thursday, I'd go fishing on the Strawberry Reservoir, catch my, you know, lot of trout. It was a good life, except for one thing. God was saying, I want you to go on. I'll never forget wanting to go, concerned about going to Texas because we didn't have a job. And um, we got a call from John Wimber, who was the founder of the vineyard, and he asked Teresa to come back and wanted to double her salary and then said he would give me the job as the um, youth pastor. We were excited now. This was a good deal. But Teresa went to Australia, and I kind of shared this with you the other day, and there met a man who said, hey, do you know the name Raymond? And she said, yes. He goes, I had a vision when I saw you of, of a man named Raymond, and he had received a call to go somewhere, but God, that someone had offered him another opportunity. And God said, I want him to stay on the road that he was going. So she called me and said, we're not packing for California. We're packing for Texas. Our hopes were dashed for our financial peace and our comfort. But today, as I come and I serve before you, I am so glad that God arrested us and brought us to a place that we came through hardship and went through difficulty to arrive in a place that we did not know, namely here in Conroe, in downtown Conroe. I was surprised to find when I got here that there was a family who lived around the corner by the name of the Loonies. Yes, like the one you saw standing up here. And they had been praying for a vineyard church to come here. People were ready to receive something that God was calling us to. I work with a lot of church planners. I used to be over church planning in this region. And the first thing they're looking for often is what is the best school system? Where, where's, the, you know, where's going to be the safest place for my kids and things? I felt like such a loser because I did not look at those things. I said, God, send me where you'll send me. And for the most part, the churches I find with that don't generally do well. Why? Because they don't have a sense of the call to a location. They just know they went somewhere that had the comfort that they needed. Now, Bobby and Tina brought their kids in and put their kids right in the schools here, knowing that their kids would generally um, be very rare in color and very rare in the language that they had. And our kids went through that, but they were from here in that sense. And I saw Bobby and Tina really just say, you know what? We're trusting that God sent us here, and we're going to walk with that. And, I, you know, when I see people stick their neck out and put their kids' lives in the hands of what God's calling, that is a very, very powerful thing. And I thank you for following God. And I thank you for not saying, well, we're going to go somewhere that has more games for our youth group. We, you know, we're going to go with better cushions for our bottoms. You deny your creature comforts every time you come to the vineyard, and I love that about you. You know, Abraham knew this here. If he was going to be a blessing to the world, he had to have children. And Sarah couldn't have children. And she was old enough to kind of pretty much know that it was done, and he was about done. And so he went out knowing he really had nothing to offer the world. He had nothing. We turn to Genesis 15, 1 through 6, and it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a, Abr Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? Times are tough, and God tells you he's your shield and great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? This is the issue, Lord. Thank you for being a shield and a buckler and all those things. But I need a kid. What can you give me? The one who's going to inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus, and he's an idiot. And Abram said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. And he said, So shall your offspring be. Your offspring. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Guys, to believe something like that. Some of you here know what it's like to try and try and try to have a child and never have a child. And someone to come in and say, you're going to have a kid and your offspring will be is how hurtful to have hope for such things. But he dared to hope, and it was credited to him as righteousness. His faith becomes the progenitor of all of our faith in the sense to which we come into Christ with in this promise. How big a blessing it is to believe and walk and follow God in those promises. When I said to you a while ago, who here feels that you were called for something greater? Not a lot of hands went up. Not a lot of hurrahs. Because quite honestly, you're going, you know, I thought that at one time. But I don't think that way anymore. I thought that at one time, but after I lost all my money. I thought that at one time, but after I lost my first and second wife, my first husband, my child. Now I'm just trying to exist. I'm just trying to make it, man. you got to understand the issues of inheritance in the ancient culture. If you didn't have a son, you had nothing. You couldn't give anything away. He had no child. So what he did was he went and got his wife's handmaid, the maid, and said, you mind if I sleep with her? And at least we would have a child. Okay, sleep with Hagar. By the way, the name should tell you enough not to sleep with the woman. All right, but... He gets with Hagar, and he has a kid, Ishmael, and it's nothing to do with Moby Dick. So the, the point is, is they begin, uh, he has a child who he loves. But then God comes to him and says, guess what? I told you it won't be this child. It's going to be the son of Sarah, your wife. It's not him. Send him away because you've got a child coming. And, he, and a child came. He said, send him away. He sends away the child that he knows is healthy and going to continue his lineage. And he says even unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might stand before you. And God said, Oh, he will. Bless him. Send him to the woods. And I want to say to those of us who get very antsy in those promises and blessings, we've created our Ishmaels. We've done the things we want to do. And we've said... Oh, if only, and for me it was only, if only Park City, Utah could just stand before you, Lord. To which my wife said, I hate Park City, Utah. So that pretty much ended it for me. Abraham had walked through the wilderness, and every time he'd get in a little trouble because his wife was so pretty, he'd go, hey, take her. <laughs> We're, that's my sister. Enjoy. <laughs> Have a good time. Woo, I'm glad I didn't get killed. And every time the king would bring her back. Why did you do that to me? This is your wife. God showed me in a dream that's your wife. Why would you try to do that to me? I'm sorry. You okay, Sarah? Yeah, I'm fine. Can you imagine that? How many times before your husband sold you into sex slavery would you uh, come on back to him? But twice she came back. I'm not kidding you. The point is, Often in our fears, we begin to make decisions that put our entire family and call and everything into question. We have to have it now, so we do things that are wrong. We, we're afraid something bad's going to happen. God's not covering me, so we make decisions that get us stuck in a position. But God didn't let him get stuck. Each time he would bring Sarah back and say, she's the one you're going to have a child with. She's not replaceable. Don't do this. All of us want to take shortcuts. All of us get afraid. All of us begin to allow our fears and our present circumstances to become the idols of our life that we worship because that's what we talk about. That's all we pray about. That's all we think about is where we are right now and everything we're afraid of. And God's sitting up there waving his hands saying, I thought we were worshiping me today. I'm the one who has a call on your life. Look at me, not your present circumstances. Come to me, the one who has called on your life. Let me empower you for leadership to move forward. But you keep looking at all your mistakes. You keep looking at all the things that you don't have instead of what you do have. And that's me.
If you would quit looking at your crappy little life and look at my glorious life, you might begin to see what I have for you. God calls us to pursue him in spite of our present circumstances, past failures, and future fears. As you write that down, I want you to write it down. Your present circumstances, your past failures, and your future fears. Listen, you can dwell in the past. Satan loves to get you in the past because he can beat you up on all the things you've done wrong. He loves to even get you more into the future because in the future, you've got no bounds to which he can scare you half to death. But let him get you in the present. Even in your present circumstances and the promises of God meeting you there, and you'll remember he's not the great I was, he's not the great I will be, he's the great I am, and he'll meet you there because the present is the point at which time touches eternity. And it is here we can launch forward and begin to believe in the promises of God and begin to worship him and quit worshiping the idols of the past and the future of what we was and what we may will, not what we will be. I've had many present circumstances challenge my call today. Many things that have come against me and said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. But God says, I have a call on your life, and it's going to be this and that. And I've said, I don't know how. I don't see how that's going to be. But I stop and go, I can't look at present circumstances only to inform me how I can hear God but not to make them who I am, to not get lost in an identity as a failure. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's a promise that he makes through the prophet Isaiah for the people of Israel, those idolaters who would follow their God. So it is for us. Well, if you think it was all good and bowl of cherries at that point, let me just say to you that he finally ends up having a child. He ends up having Isaac. Someone to put his promises in. And Isaac, after Ishmael sent away, becomes a wonderful young man. But then Abraham gets another call from God. And it could not have been more shocking, that's for sure. Well, there you go. <laughs> We're going cray-cray today, day. All right. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, and I'll show you. This was the ultimate test. God had given him Isaac the Greatest desire of his heart. He had given it to him and allowed him to fall in love. The son whom you love, the one you adore. You know that one. Abraham. You love him, don't you? Oh, I really love him. I finally have got something to put my hope in. I finally have something that I can say, I have a life and I'm going to bless the world through my son. God said, sacrifice him on the mountain. Mariah. For any of us who've ever had a promise that looked like it was coming into fulfillment, and to see God come and say, you're going to walk away from that, you know what it feels like to feel like you've been cheated. You know what it feels like to feel like God is choosing others over you. If I could play another song, it would be, I shot the sheriff. Because every time I plant a little, <laughs> he kill it before it grow, right? I know what it was like to be 
so hopeful of being. Thank you so much, Kevin Parker. Big Miss Kim Parker, big hand. And to give my life for music and everything, walk away from everything for music, and have God say, okay, we're done. Now you're going to go plant a church. You know, it's okay. It's easy. I don't miss music. I don't miss any of that. Yeah, I cry at nights. For years, I would sit in my chair, and as my family would go to sleep, I would cry and say, why did you take that from me? It meant so much to me. Why did you push me to that place? Allow me to taste something. Every one of us have been in that place. Everyone has know what it's like. But in this case here, as it was then, we'd sit back and we would see, what would Abraham do? How would he treat Isaac? How would he be with Isaac but to, to, to basically protect him from all the elements? Never let him be a child. He'd never play football. He'd never do anything like that. He was never going to be that. He was idolatrous, though. Even the way he loved his child. So early in the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when they got cut the wood and the burnt offering, he set out for the place of God. And on the third day, he could see that place in the distance. And he said to his servants, you stay here with the donkey while I go in the, in the boy and I will go over there and we will worship and then we'll come back to you. Many often feel that we will come back to you was his way of saying, uh, I'm bringing him back one way or the other. <laughs> but we don't know. When they reached that place, God had told him about Abraham built that altar, and he did all the things he was supposed to do. Tied his son up, laid him on the altar of wood, and he reached out his hand, and he took his knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he said. He said, don't lay a hand on that boy. Don't do anything to him. Now that I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. What Abraham was able to see is that his test was about loving God supremely. And in the end, the Lord said to him, now I know you fear God more than anything. And that this would be the beginnings of what we would see as Christians where the Father himself would give his only son for us and go all the way through the deal that would bless our lives. Abraham took the journey. He took his journey with his son and had he never taken the journey in obedience he never would have known how God was going to even bless him more to free him up and let him sense that I love you more than you love your son I love your son too and I'm not going to take him from you for me in music as I sat and, and began to dwindle up at one point the Lord said to me I never told you to quit writing I brought you here to save your life not to kill you. I didn't come here to kill you. I didn't bring you here to save Conroe. I brought you here so Conroe could save you. I brought you here so you could enjoy your wife, your family, your children. Not that you could get caught up in achievements and trying to be something again. I don't need you to be something, Raymond. I don't need you to be anything. I need you to just walk with me and I will bless you. And I will be the one who fulfills the promises that I've called you to. You serve me. You worship me. I'll do those things. You don't have to make Ishmael's. You don't have to make bad deals. You don't have to sin because I don't need your sin to fulfill my promises for your life. These are the words that God says to Abraham. It's the word he said to me. It's the word he says to us all. And God calls us to pursue him obediently beyond the promises he's given us. Many of us were serving him just for those promises. But we serve obediently beyond that promise. The promise, he gave it to me. And as I saw the man who I had met years before crying, I recall back when I would first met the man in Switzerland as he lived in a house right on the edge of the black forest, and he had this beautiful wife, and I was a single guy going, man, I want a beautiful wife like that. He had these three little toe-headed kids who were gorgeous. And they'd eat their bread and their jam and their chocolate, all they do in Switzerland with their little wee little bitty glasses. And, <clears throat> and he told me, I'm here as a missionary from California. God's blessed my life. I wanted his life. 
That man got the real call of his life, and that was to go to Russia when it opened up. And he went to Kiev, actually, which is Ukraine now. And he went there, and he started a church, and the church blew up and became big. And his wife one day said to him, I hate it here. I can't live here. The kids hate it here. It's not working. So they went back to Switzerland and awaited for him to come. The church called him and said, it's time to shut your church down and come back or hand the church over. You've done your job. Come home. I ran into him about that time, and he said to me, Raymond, she's crazy. I finally am in the promises of God, he's always said to me, and I'm not coming back home. I don't care who tells me because I'm doing what God told me to do. I ran into his wife actually last year. She's remarried. She's got a blessed life. But she and I talked about that day in Switzerland. She and I talked about how he lost everything when he thought he needed to serve God and not listen to actually putting his promise on the altar and allowing God to bless him through that. God wasn't telling him to give up his wife and children. God wanted him to know he loved God more than the children and wife. But God never asked him to leave them. Matter of fact, he wanted him to go home. That man's out of ministry now. That man's life is ruined. Um, I call us all to understand that the promises that God has given us do not trump the life he's given us. But I tell you, when I gave up music and I came back and I worked in my uncle's shop and I was sitting there working on cars and mosquitoes were biting me, I said, why did you bring me here to kill me? And God said, yes, I did. To kill the pride, the arrogance, all these things that when I whispered these things to you about loving you and calling you, that you begin to think great of yourself. This isn't about you. It's about me blessing the world through you. And I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to bless your life. But it always goes through me in the worship of me. Everything I do through you will come because you worship me. Not because you worship the thing I gave you or promised you. This is how idolatry gets started in us, guys. We see in James 2, James says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not just by faith alone. Luther did not like this book of James because of this verse and chose to take it out of the Protestant Bible, though it got put back in. It's not saying that we aren't saved by grace, but it's saying that the grace we've been given causes us to go out and to work for God. It's not saying that our work gets us in the place of God loving us more. It doesn't say that our work makes us greater before God. It's just saying that faith works out of God in a worship of him. We have faith in him, and great things happen with that. Think of the many disappointments and troubles that each of you have had this year in this sense, and look at them more closely, and you're going to see that sometimes the things that you went through that broke your heart were the ways of God getting you back on track and putting you back where he was calling you to go. Just look at that. You look at everything as a failure, but often God stepped in and said, I can't allow that to go on. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a relationship. I would hope not. The most painful times in our lives are times to which the Isaacs and the idols and the Ishmaels and all that start getting removed. This 4th of July, as we think of being great Americans, let's remember this too, that God has given us America. We have not given America to this world, that we worship him, and that's what makes us a great nation. God makes us a great nation as he works through us, and we never worship our nation over our God because when we do that, then our nation will begin to falter and be like every other nation that's out there. This nation is great because we worship God and in God we trust. That's why we have it in our pledge. That's why we have it in our own money, though it came in the 50s. That's why it's even in the Texas pledge for crying out loud. 
because it's God that makes this a great state. It's God that makes it a great country. It's God that makes this a great church, you a great family, and you a great person. So worship him, not his call, not his promises, not what you've done, not what you failed to do. Timothy Keller says, as many have learned and later taught, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. So on this 4th of July celebration, I want you to remember the things that you have lost often point to the main thing you have, and that's Jesus Christ. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, the psalmist who write in Psalm 37. So we stand this morning as we say goodbye. And I lift up the call and promises of your life. I invite you to come down and be with me as we just pursue him shortly here to pray with you. For those of you who don't know Jesus and have never met this Jesus, you're just in the tough time. Would you come and say yes to Jesus today? I'm not kidding you, man. There's nothing greater you would do with your life than turn it over to Christ Jesus. And for those of us who've said yes to him, we know that day. And often we have forgot the greatness of it because we've been beset by trials. I would invite you again today to say yes. I will follow you. Yes, I will believe that you have a call and purpose on my life. Yes, I will begin again to walk with you and not allow my circumstances, fears, or failures to accuse you of not being a great God. Come, Holy Spirit, as we come this morning for prayer, for salvation, prayer for our bodies, for our lives, the brokenness that you say, I will come and heal your body. I will come and heal your heart. I will come and heal your finances. I will come and give you direction. I will re-up, as it were, the call of your life. Would you come and join me today as I say, come, Holy Spirit, and meet us in this space. Meet us in this place, and then we will go and enjoy ourselves on the fancy water slides. Be blessed in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. No idols. One God. Our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.